This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. We come now to the hearing and the preaching of the Word of God, and we've been making our way through the Gospel of Mark. We are this morning at chapter 3, Mark chapter 3. The text is the first six verses of Mark chapter 3. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they, that is the Pharisees, watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man with the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Let's consider these verses this morning under the, the theme, the healing of the man with a withered hand, the setting, the confrontation, and the instruction. And I say the setting or the scene because here Mark, in typical fashion, describes both the detail and the action of this event. He's very descriptive, and he, and he sets up a scene to, to, as it were, catch the tension of the moment. There's tension in the air. It's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the special day of the week that God has created and set aside for man to cease from his earthly labors and to worship him. And the Sabbath under the leadership of the Pharisees, have been turned into a day of bondage and rule-keeping, and they are watching Jesus as he comes into the synagogue on this Sabbath. You come teaching, teaching with authority, and preaching the good news of the gospel. But now on this Sabbath, the focus is a little different. The interest in the synagogue on this Sabbath day is not just this, what is he going to teach us today, but... There's an encounter here, a recipe for a controversy, a conflict. We see that in the, in the three parties who are present. There is Jesus, there is the man there with the withered hand, and there are here the watching Pharisees. Jesus was there on the Sabbath in the synagogue, gathered with the people of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing when God's people come together on the Sabbath? He says, there I am in the midst of you to teach. Jesus is there. And then there's this unnamed man. He's called here the man with the withered hand. And it must have been how he was known. The man with the withered hand. It was his outstanding feature. It was the way people referred to him. For him, probably this, this impediment, this, this disability was quite embarrassing. Perhaps he because he was unable to work, had become a beggar. And we can imagine that on this Sabbath in the synagogue, he sits in the back corner with his head down so as not to be noticed. His hand was withered. That word withered is a very descriptive word. It describes what happens to a plant when it dies or to a branch when it's cut off. It becomes lifeless. 
That's the hand of this man, his arm shriveled, lifeless, hanging at his side. The man with the withered hand, there he was. And then the third party was the Pharisees, and the description of them here is the most detailed. We've seen that they've been in conflict with Jesus already, and this is building. And it's very obvious what their purpose is from the description of them here in verse 2. Mark says, they watched him. They watched him. This is not people watching like you might do as you sit on a street corner and see unnamed individuals walking by. But the word here is very strong. It has the idea of scrutiny, scrutinized him. And the tense of the verb is is this, that they kept on watching him. They were watching him very intently. They, they were focused on him. They watched him. They were on a fault-finding mission. Mark says they were, they were here to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. They were aware of the presence of this man with a withered hand. And perhaps they even planted this man there. Come along with us to hear Jesus teach. They, they want this moment of confrontation. They watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. And they did this, verse 2 tells us, so that, this was their purpose, that they might accuse him. And accuse has the idea of bringing formal charges against him. They wanted to bring him before the courts. They wanted to indict him for a crime. They wanted to arrest him and bring him before the rulers in Jerusalem. So here they are almost daring him to heal this man on the Sabbath day. That's the scene. Sometimes you get the the right people together, or perhaps you could say the wrong people together, and it's a, a recipe for something to happen, for things to escalate very quickly. And there's this kind of anticipation, this watching, what's going to happen? But now here, if we were part of the audience, we would be on the edge of our seats too. It wasn't just the, the Pharisees who were watching, but everybody was there waiting for something to happen. And then Luke adds one more detail that really adds another whole dimension to what's going on here. Luke says in Luke 6 verse 8 that he, that is Jesus, knew their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. That's a divine knowledge of the thoughts and the intents of the heart of man. He knew their thoughts. Jesus is fully conscious of their motives. He knows why they're there to destroy him. Jesus knew their thoughts. God knows our thoughts, and you can't fool God with an outward religious form, just as these Pharisees could not fool Jesus with this outward religious form. So here's the here's the setting. And we have the confrontation, even though the Pharisees in the synagogue here, don't say a word. Mark records this back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the fact that the Pharisees don't say a word, but there is this back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees, shows us the, the mastery of Jesus here in this situation. These things aren't just happening to him. Later on, he'll be arrested, he'll be tried, he'll be put to death. But you know that he's always in control, in the position of mastery. He's laying down his life for his own. And that's what Jesus demonstrates here. Just as he came and taught with authority, so now he interacts with, he takes on the Jewish leaders with the same authority. So in the in the confrontation here, there are really six scenes. First, it begins with Jesus going on the offensive, knowing their thoughts, Luke says. He said to the man with the withered hand, stand forth. Literally, stand up in the middle. Perhaps Jesus called him to the front where he could be seen. And Jesus is, I say, on the offensive. He's not going to hide what he will do. He could, 
He could have healed this man afterwards privately. He, he could have waited until the Pharisees were gone, and then they wouldn't have known that he had done this on the Sabbath. But instead, Jesus creates a scene. Stand forth. And the man stands, perhaps somewhat bashfully. And all eyes turn to him and to Jesus and to the Pharisees, and they look back and forth. This is scene one. Scene two, Jesus asks a question or two questions that are parallel in their meaning, and it's very profound. First, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil? Is it lawful to do good or evil? Now, he puts this question to men who considered themselves and who were considered experts in the law. So you experts in the law, he says, tell us, is it lawful? Is it proper? Is it right on the Sabbath day to do what's good or to do what is evil? Should I do today what's right or what's wrong? And then he adds a second question to it. To save life or to kill? To do good or evil? To do good would be to save life. To do evil would be to kill. Now, it seems at first glance that Jesus is simply asking whether it's okay for him to heal this man with a withered hand. Would it be wrong for me not to do good when it's in the power of my hand to do it. James says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We can sin by omission. The Pharisees were very concerned in all their stipulations about sins of commission, breaking their petty laws. Jesus is saying, wouldn't it be a sin for me to neglect to do what's right? I say at first glance, that seems to be the main thing that Jesus says. But there's more to the question. There is an accusation here. Has to do with what's going on in the hearts of these Pharisees. Jesus knows what's going on in their hearts, and Jesus is not simply asking them whether he may heal this man, but he puts that in contrast to their evil designs to kill him. He says, I come with a design to do good, to save life. You come to destroy, you come to kill. That, he says, is evil. And you look down to verse 6. That's the work that they're engaged in on the Sabbath day. Immediately, they plot how to kill him. You see what Jesus is saying? You can have all these laws that you follow and all these stipulations, and yet you're willing to do the work of Satan. You won't do the work of God, but you're willing to do the work of Satan to kill. Withering question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil, to save life or to kill? That's scene two. Scene three. Mark turns our attention at the end of verse 4 to their response. But they held their peace. That is, they were silent. They said nothing. And the verb tense here isn't just that they were silent, but they, they kept on in their silence. And the idea here is that there was a pause, that this is something that went on for a while. Jesus is looking at them. He's giving them the opportunity to answer there's silence. You can, you can feel the tension in the air. You can cut it with a knife. But I want us to think about this for a minute. This is the silence of the world before the condemning questions of the word. And as we think about this, this is not an, an occasion for us to kind of have this smug victory kind of feeling against the Pharisee. That's not what this is about. This is the, the word putting to silence man. Romans chapter 3 tells us that all the world should be silent before God. This is not a time to cheer for Jesus, but this is a time to be humbly silent. The word condemns us in our sin and our self-righteousness and our 
hard-heartedness and our unbelief. They held their peace. It was a hard-hearted peace, but we should have a humble silence. There was silence. Scene three. Scene four. You have Jesus' reaction to their silence in verse five, and and this is really the I'll say the heart of the passage, the power of Jesus, the Son of God, here expressed in a righteous display of emotion when he had looked round about upon them with anger, being grieved at the hardness of their heart. Before he turns to the man with the withered hand, he looks at the Jewish leaders, some there, some there, with anger, the wrath of the Lamb. This is the look. We understand it's not a petty human anger. And his grief here is not a helpless human grief. No, it's the look of the righteous God who knows the hearts of men. And it's the grief of the holy God who is jealous for the well-being of his people. And I think we should notice a couple things about the anger of Jesus here. And even the anger of Jesus more, more generally. The anger of Jesus in the Gospels is always and only directed at religious people who either abuse their position or misrepresent the word of God. You never find that Jesus is angry with the immorality that's going on on the streets. You never find that Jesus is angry with the publicans and the sinners. No, he's angry with these hypocritical leaders. Or he becomes angry sometimes with his disciples when they want to stand in the way of his purpose in the cross. And his anger here is directed at the hypocrisy of the Pharisees that stands in the way of the the mercy and the goodness of God that would be displayed in the healing of this, this man. You read in Scripture, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Mercy and not sacrifice. With all their scruples, there was no mercy. With all their rules, they missed altogether the purpose of the Sabbath. He's angry and he's grieved. Mark tells us he's grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Again, this is a divine grief. He's not disappointed here, as though he wants to see these Pharisees come to faith, but they refuse him and they harden their hearts towards him. That's not the grief, but it's the grief of a jealous God for the holiness of his name. Psalm 119, something like this. Rivers of water have run down my eyes because they kept not thy law. So he's angry and he's grieved. Scene 4, scene 5, he says to the man with the withered hand, verse 5b, stretch forth thine hand. And we read that he did it, and his hand was immediately restored whole, just as the other. Stretch forth thy hand. There's a couple of things here. First, this man could not stretch forth his hand. This man's hand was lifeless and withered. And yet he did stretch forth his hand, and it demonstrates to us the the power of the word of Jesus, effectual. And that's the power of the voice of Jesus Christ in the gospel to dead sinners. He says to them, come unto me. He says to us, believe on me. And dead and lifeless sinners are awakened by that call, and they come. The man doesn't say, I can't stretch out my hand. No, God gives to him the grace through the call of Jesus, to do it, to stretch forth his hand. And that's the power of the gospel that comes to dead sinners, that has come to you and me and called us from the darkness and the unbelief of sin and the hardness of our hearts. Come unto me. And whereas on the one hand, there's a hardening by that. On the other hand, there's this powerful quickening call in the gospel that comes to the elect who have received the Spirit of God and 
is sovereignly called as the sheep to follow him. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow him. Stretch forth thine hand. What a powerful call. And then I want you to see something else here. And this is quite interesting. That when Jesus did this miracle, he did not break any of the Pharisees' laws. Other times when he did miracles on the Sabbath day, he did. But here he doesn't touch the man. He doesn't rub any mud in his eyes. He doesn't do any work. He doesn't tell the man to do any work. He doesn't say to him, carry your bed or whatever. He simply says, stand up, stretch forth your hand. He speaks. He speaks. And what they had come to catch him in, working on the Sabbath, so that they could accuse him of that, they cannot. He's healed by an invisible work of God's power. And his hand is restored just like the other. And all Jesus did was spoke a word. And that explains the next scene, scene 6, in verse 6, that they go to do exactly what Jesus had accused them of, to do evil, to kill. Verse 6, the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Is it lawful to save life or to kill? They want to kill. And you see the hardness of their heart on display here in in, in three different ways. First, that after witnessing such a miracle, they would not believe. Then second, their hardness of heart is shown in this, that before Christ and his confronting condemnation, their concern is only self-justification, defending themselves. There's no humility. And then third, their hardness of heart is shown here, especially in their taking counsel with the Herodians. The Herodians were Jews who had willingly placed themselves into the camp of the occupying Romans. They were enemies against Israel. And now you see the enemies uniting together against Christ. Psalm 2, the kings of the earth and the council and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's, that's the hardness of their heart here. So what instruction is there here for us? What do we learn? Well, first we learn about Jesus Christ, and there are several things here. We've kind of touched on these already, but we want to bring them together. What do we learn here about who he is and why he's come? First, we see here in Christ his courage, his his resolve in the face of opposition. They have come very intentionally. We're coming after you. That's the message they're conveying to him. And he, as it were, rises to the challenge. And it's important for us to see in that both his humanity and his divinity. His humanity. This already is persecution. The persecution that will lead to his arrest and death. And it's persecution and suffering that he endures as a man. Painful and difficult. That's the way it is when we are persecuted. Who likes to be hated and opposed and threatened and followed? We shouldn't think of Jesus as, a, as some kind of stoic. No, he's a man. And that's where we see his divinity coming through here. It was only by his divine power that he could be sustained through this suffering that he should have, that he could have the courage and the unflinching resolve to go on. And it's on account of that 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 in the end he goes to the cross and we have our salvation. What a savior. So first we see his courage. Second we see here his anger, his anger. Very rarely does our anger come without sin and that's because our anger is usually motivated by selfishness or self-protection. But the anger of Jesus is different. It's really a preview of the anger with which he will come, jealous for the righteousness of God in judgment against all who persist 
in unbelief before the gospel. And so Psalm 2 says, Kiss the son, lest ye perish. When his anger is kindled but a little, kiss the son, embrace him, believe on him. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him, Psalm 2, believing on him. You see his anger. Then third, and we've certainly touched on this, we see here his sovereign power. That's first an amazing power that we see in the miracle itself. Stretch out thy hand. And the man is made whole. That's the power by which Jesus comes to the sinner. And he's able to overcome sin and to conquer and to turn what we could call withered lives of dead branches into fruitful branches. He's mighty to save. His power here is also in his control of the situation. They didn't stand a chance before him, the Pharisees. And that's true of all his life. Constantly, every step of his life, he's intentionally directing the adversary, demonstrating his power, and at the same time, doing that to bring about his own demise, his own destruction. They cannot lift a finger against him, but as he permits. And his power really here shows the reality of his love, doesn't it? And that's really the fourth thing here. They come to kill, to destroy. And here's a man with a withered hand. Jesus comes to save, to heal. He pities. And his pity is not just a feeling, but pity is, is a mercy that springs into action. And Jesus comes not just to, to make limp hands whole, but he sees us in our misery. And that's why he's come from heaven to, to deliver us from the guilt and the power and the dominion of our sin, to break it and to set us free, to make us whole. Revelation 21, no more crying, tears, pain, suffering, deformities. Behold, I make all things new. And that's the, the culmination of the work of Christ in the deliverance from sin and its effects. And that's what's on display here in the mercy of Jesus Christ. And then just a couple other things that we learn here. First, we learn something about the Sabbath. We spent more time on this last week in the previous Sabbath dispute. But here, what we learn especially is this, that the Sabbath is also for works of mercy. We ought to do good on the Sabbath. We ought to save life in the way that Jesus does here, to to spend your day in hospitality, to spend your day in fellowship with other believers in order to lift them up and to understand their problems, to visit the sick and the elderly, to pray with the needy. These are appropriate works for the Sabbath day. And we ought to not live under the yoke of the Sabbath, but joy in serving in this way. And then one other thing that we see here and that we're instructed in is human nature, the depravity of human nature, yours and mine. That's what's on display here in the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and the pride and the hard heart, hard-heartedness before the gospel and the determination to destroy Jesus. This is who we are by nature. There's another Pharisee who wrote this later, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I imagine that Paul, who wrote that, must have looked at these hard-hearted Jews, been grieved and humbled. By the grace of God, I am that I am. How alarming it should be to us that man's heart could be so hard that he would sit in judgment against Christ, the judge. And yet that's how hard our hearts can be sometimes when we will not hear the word of God. So let's pray for soft hearts, ready soil to receive the word.
Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.